0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Podcastles. You're listening to me, Nikita, and my sister, Georgia. Hello. And this week, episode five of season two, Georgia, and we're moving on to Essex.
1: We are indeed. We're moving into our home county, born and bred in Essex. The pressure's on.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Pressure is on. And so we are kicking it off strong, we hope, with Colchester Castle, aren't we?
1: Yeah. Now, I remember going to Colchester a lot as a kid, Yeah. In prepping for this episode, it's amazing how much I'd forgotten.
0: (laughs) How much there is, yeah. I look
1: back at it and I just go, I can't believe me as a little kid was walking around this castle. You know, the history is fascinating. (laughs) Let's get straight into the history, shall we? Yeah, let's. There's a lot to do. Technically, a thousand years ago is when we're looking for the castle first being built Mm -hmm. by William the Conqueror, like so many of the castles we study are, because it's the Normans that really bring over the concept of having all these fortifications and castles. Yeah. But we can kind of go back another thousand years on that, which is old even by English history standards. Mm -hmm. Because we can kind of go back and look at Roman England as part of the history of Colchester Castle.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about this because this is actually what got me really into history in the first place it used to have these like kids latin textbooks for fun which is i think saying quite a lot about me (laughs) minimus they used to have like colchester on there and it was interesting Mm. and there was a mouse i just remember you used to like
1: make me read them as part of our like princess games and stuff anyway let's not go into a family therapy session (laughs) the reason we can go back all this way is because Colchester was an incredibly important town even before the Romans actually invaded. Back then, it was known as Camulodunum, And we can actually go back slightly before the Roman invasion because Colchester was important even before then. That's why the Romans put their focus so much on the town. Technically, by some definitions, not by all definitions, but you can kind of count Colchester as the oldest recorded town in England. Back then, the uh, it was not one united country. It was actually a series of sort of tribes or whatever you want to call them. And one of these very important tribes in the Southeast was led by a guy called Kenobolan. Mm-hmm. And he... And his descendants really found a base in Colchester. We know they were minting coins there for a long time. And uh, we know that they were actually having a lot of trade with the Romans before the Romans successfully invaded. I think there'd been attempts earlier on by Caesar himself. And we know there were like established trade routes and they they had communications with various English tribes. But at the time that Emperor Claudius is on the throne, if you like, he saw this Canobulan as the... Uh, the king of the Britons. That's how the Romans regarded him. So he's quite an important tribe. They see him as the key mm-hmm. to England. And uh, Emperor Claudius only actually leaves Italy once during his rule. And that was to visit Colchester. Whilst he's there, he's, he's sort of involved in the invasion. And he then goes back after 16 days and they continue their... Invasion of England, but they start out in Colchester. That's seen as one of the most important. They then go on to London and then they go on to elsewhere. So clearly, very important place from the offset. Now, the Romans go on to make this their capital. They build a lot of really important structures there. They build a legionary fortress or castrum, and that is the first permanent legionary fortress to be built in Britain. Full stop. They also build a theatre, which we know held three to five thousand people. So, this is a big dwelling, there's a lot of people here. They also build eventually a temple to Claudius himself, because on Claudius's death in 54 AD, he becomes a god and they build a temple to him in Colchester. Now The reason this is all important, obviously it's important to the history of Colchester, but we're looking specifically at castles. Mm -hmm. The reason this is all so important is because actually this temple becomes the foundations for the castle that is currently there. They use a lot of the um, the walls and the foundations to build on a thousand years later, pretty much, when the Normans invade England.
0: That's incredible. So... Colchester Castle is built out of a temple.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean, a lot of a lot of the uh the temple is sort of swept away by this point, obviously. It's been a thousand years, uh, which is the same length of time from William the Conqueror to us now, pretty much, roughly, give or take, you know. So it's a long time. Obviously, it's just sort of rubble by this point. But yeah, they sweep away a load of the rubble and they use some of the foundations they possibly include some of the walls and staircases are sort of kept the same at this point. We are going to go back to Roman history for our deep dive. Excellent, Because we can link the temple and therefore the foundations of the castle to a very interesting story from the Roman period.
0: I think I know what's coming. It's my favourite Roman story.
1: I think you probably do, but we'll get on to that. We're going to instead go forwards to the period of William the Conqueror. So the castle is originally built in the 1070s for William I. And uh, we know this because of something called the Colchester Chronicle, which doesn't actually come about until the 13th or 14th century. It's probably written by one of the monks in St. John's Abbey. But it's really interesting because it gives us a lot of our information about the founding of the castle. We know that it was a lot bigger than other Norman castles Mm -hmm. we know that it was very different in its plan as well with the ground plan now that probably comes into the fact that you know they were working with something kind of already there so that probably had an influence but it is by no means a normal Norman castle in fact the only other sort of fortification of a similar plan is the White Tower also known now as the Tower of London
0: wow that's really cool
1: yeah, and we know that the Tower of London was designed by a guy called Gundolf. Sorry. Not to be confused with Gandalf. Oh. That's such a shame. I know you were about to say it. I'm just nipping that in the bud straight such away. Such a
0: shame. You've taken it away from me.
1: <laughs> so the the guy actually put in charge of building the castle is called mm-hmm. Odo, o, Odo Dapifer. Sorry for the pronunciation. And we know that he asked Gandalf for his help in building the nearby abbey. And therefore, it's quite likely that they sort of collaborated on this project. And that's why... The White Tower and Colchester Castle are kind of similar in their designs. Now, just to go a little bit into Odo himself, he is Odo of Rye. He's a very wealthy Norman. He's got many lands in Normandy as well as in the eastern counties of England. And despite the fact that he actually dies in Normandy, he is buried at St. John's in Colchester. So clearly the town as it was at the time, was very important to him. Mm. He also was the king's steward to William the Conqueror and to his sons, William II and Henry I. He basically was the governor of Colchester for 50 years until his death. And in 1101, Henry I actually grants the castle to Odo. As the builder, he decides, you know, you should actually have control of this. But originally, it is built as a royal castle for the crown, Now, to go a little bit into the details of the building, we know that there was very little quality stone nearby. So the Norman builders actually plundered a lot of Roman Colchester to build the keep of the castle. The original castle was clearly built in two stages. First one was clearly meant to be temporary. People disagree over the reasoning behind this. Some people say it's because there was a threat of an invasion from Canute of Denmark in 1085. And therefore, they had to quickly stop and like prepare it for battle. Some people say, actually, that doesn't add up to the dates. And they think it was actually paused because of a rebellion in 1075, which centred in East Anglia. It was supported by a large Danish fleet which only arrived after the rebellion had already been crushed. But it was a precautionary measure in case they needed to defend the area. And given that those cases both involve the Danes and they're like 10 years apart, there's some dispute over which one was the reason why they paused building. Mm -hmm. But either way, after the threat passes, they resume building. One interesting little side point for people really interested in the architecture of this sort of thing is that it looks like there was meant to be three stories. I was reading a lot of like architectural reviews and sort of studies. We don't know if it was never built. Maybe they Mm -hmm. quickly had to change plans because of the threat of invasion. Maybe they just decided it was overly ambitious because they couldn't get the materials. I mean, it was literally... So much more expensive than most castles were at that time. Yeah. That sure. there are several reasons they might have abandoned the idea. Also, maybe we've just lost it. We don't really know. Um,
0: you, lost, you lost the whole floor. It's careless, isn't it?
1: Alongside the building of the castle, we know that William the Conqueror puts heavy taxation on Colchester.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The taxes rise annually by five times. Wow. And that's recorded in the Doomsday Book. Feels doom, doomsy. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Despite that... Yeah. The town actually flourishes in the coming years. We know that there's like 276 named burgers in the years to follow, which is actually, it's quite cosmopolitan, which oh. I quite liked, because lots of them are English names, but we also have 13 Scandinavian names in there, 12 German, four French, there's Norman, there's uh, Celtic, there's Welsh. So there's clear, it's clearly quite a cosmopolitan yeah. area, which really stands as further evidence that this was such a crucial area at the time because you know London would be considered one of the most cosmopolitan areas in England now because it's sort of the centre isn't it yeah so we know that as I mentioned before the crown keeps control of the castle until 1101 when Henry I then grants it to Odo he sort of feels like he deserves it after so much time looking after it. Then we go through various constables and sheriffs and protectors. Until 1250, Colchester Castle remains one of the major military points of defence. It's really significant in eastern England. We know that Henry I, second, II, and third spend time here. John, your favourite, King John, oh, spends John. 11 occasions at least at the castle And uh, we know that he was there at moments of crisis. His
0: whole reign was one big giant crisis.
1: (laughs) So, during the First Baron's War, it's actually one of only two times the castle sees any military action or any invasions. We know that it was one of the few castles not held by a royal supporter. So the constable at the time, William de Lavallee, he was actually a member of the baronial group who opposes King John. And in 1215, The castle's occupied by French troops. In 1216, there's a three-month siege and it's recaptured by John. And then later that year, the Baronial army ravages the town. There's a rebellion again and uh, they again surrender to John in March 1216. But actually in 1217, they surrender it back to the French in return for a truce. And then it's back in 1218 that it's restored to the crown during a treaty it's the treaty of lambeth oh interesting yeah it goes backwards and forwards quite a bit in those years by the 13th century though colchester doesn't really have a military importance anymore one of the things that was pointed out as a symbol of this is that the uh, the justice's house in the castle bailey is demolished in 1334 we know that the castle then is used for a prison from like the 13th century. Mm -hmm. In the first period, it goes through to 1667. And then later on, it's reopened again in 1691. It's a prison in a different sense for a while. We're going to get a lot of our ghosts and skeletons from that period.
0: Excellent. Looking forward to that.
1: Mm -hmm. Just to round up though, with there is still some notable events to happen that's worth mentioning. Henry VI gives the castle to Margaret of Anjou. His wife, nice. We know that during that period, the custody of the castle was granted to the Duke of Norfolk, who is then killed at the Battle of Bosworth. After Bosworth, John de Vere, Earl of Oxford. I don't know if you know yeah. that name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fifteen oh nine, he is actually given the the castle. It's actually a hereditary claim. I couldn't quite work out what the hereditary claim was but apparently it was there. Later on in the Tudor period, Mary I changed who the castle belonged to on her accession. I'd never really thought about it before because when I looked at the reign of Mary and Elizabeth, we look at the fact that obviously because of their religious and political opposition, really, like the the offices of the church, the ecclesiastical offices, they kept changing hands because obviously you can't have a bishop who's Catholic, when you're a Protestant and vice versa. Um, I hadn't really thought about the fact that they would probably transfer castles and things like that to different people's hands. So Mary gives it to someone else and then it, it returns to someone else again when Elizabeth arrives. So there's a lot of sort of jumping around, but at this point, it's already kind of in ruins a little bit. During the English Civil War, it's held for the king. And I mentioned earlier, the First Baron's War was one of two periods of military action that the castle saw well the civil war is that that second time and it's besieged by the parliamentarians for 12 weeks and when the tower did finally fall the two royalist leaders Sir Charles Lucas and Sir John Lyle were both incarcerated in the castle before being led outside and shot oh no yeah oh it got so bad at one point that the people of the town were forced to eat their pets and even tallow, which is like animal fat, used to make candles during the uh, the siege because it cut off the food supplies. So quite a serious siege there as well. It's interesting, actually, despite the fact that the town was a parliamentary stronghold, apparently there were people in the town sheltering royalist soldiers. It's really in disrepair at this point. It's actually partly dismantled in 1683. Basically, the guy who buys it, buys it for profit in the sense that he's planning to take it apart and sell the materials. He also sublets bits of it as well. But we do know it is used as a jail until 1668. It's actually used as a county jail for a little bit. There's a variety of prisoners over the years that it's used as such. There's prisoners of war, There's the king's enemies, as it's described, so like rebels. Um, Heretics, pirates, minorities, pretenders. To the throne. All sorts, yeah. We know that it was absolutely appalling conditions in 1631. Oh dear. In 1631, it was so in disrepair, the prison, that prisoners were exposed to outside weather. In 1646, there's a night where prisoners have to stand up to their knees in water uh, because the the roof is leaking so much. We know that the jailer's really cruel food's really inaccurate, uh, uh, really inadequate. The food's really inaccurate. They keep throwing it out the window instead. (laughs) They keep this in their mouths. The food's really inadequate. I read something as well about the jailers literally charging the prisoners for everything from like having your shackles taken off for a little bit to literally like food and water. It's really bad. That
0: was quite a common thing. If you were in debtors prison, you used to be able to paid to go out for a bit
1: yeah I remember we looked at that during Oxford didn't we
0: yeah and you that's, that's quite a common thing
1: they did eventually have to move the jail to Malsham mm-hmm. and it was still used like a little bit it is officially closed for good in 1835 it's closed a few times or sort of like most of the most of the prisoners have moved away a few times in fact actually new rules on accommodation in jails comes in in 1824, which basically makes it useless because it's such poor condition and they end up closing it in
0: 1835. Wow. I'm glad they closed it.
1: You may or may not know that Colchester Castle is now basically used as a museum. Mm -hmm. It's got a number of exhibitions around the very, very vast and fruitful history of Colchester in general. So yeah, it's now visitable as a museum. Amazing. That wraps us up for history.
0: It's amazing, such a long history for a for a castle. It's definitely the right one to be starting with for Essex, I think.
1: Well, it's quite a whistle-stop tour I did there. 2,000 years of history, really.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. But I think you mentioned that there's quite a lot of ghosts and skeletons.
1: Well, there, there's a couple of ghosts and skeletons, particularly around the jail
0: aspect. So is it time to rate the tea? It may be time to break the tea, yeah. Ghosts and skeletons.
1: So we've already talked about the really awful conditions and bad jailers. I don't really think there's any point in covering that again, but that is one thing for it. Very, very bad conditions. Uh, Also, we can link Colchester Castle to witch trials in the 17th century. Interesting. So Matthew Hopkins, who is quite a big name in this period. Have you heard of him? Is he the witch hunter general. He is the witch hunter general. It's actually witch finder general. Witch finder general. It's a self-given title. Yeah, he's a he's a muppet. He sounds like a bit of a muppet. Yeah, so he's horrible. He is not given that title by parliament. He decides himself. He claims the to hold the office of witch finder general, which is a great
0: name. It's like when you're freelance and HMRC are like, "What's the name of your business?"
1: It is. Literally, he's basically freelance, I think, yeah. He goes around and imprisons and interrogates suspected witches. He does most of that in Colchester Castle. Some of the women who are claimed to be witches are held in the castle for up to like six months. Six months in those conditions?
0: That's horrible.
1: He wrote a book called The Discovery of Witches. Him and his sort of supporting peeps the people that he works with they're responsible for 300 deaths and uh, the jail calendar for the castle shows prosecutions for suspected witches actually starts long before Hopkins in 1560 they went on for about 150 years but it is during Matthew Hopkins rule of terror raid of terror that numbers are particularly high after his death they drop significantly
0: did you ever watch the adaptation of the terry deary novel on amazon prime with i can't remember what it's called david tennant and michael sheen and jack whitehall is the Witchfinder general in it and it's really funny that actually sounds quite good i kind of want to watch that well it just made me think of it because it's quite funny and i suspect that is why it's in my memory yeah, I have to
1: say, obviously, it's such a serious time. And I did study the witch craze at university a little bit. And obviously, it's horrific. Just ludicrous as well. Like the idea of being some of the things they did to prove, inverted commas, witches and the theories they had. And I've studied it from a gender point of view quite a lot. And it's it's fascinating and awful. Still, the main thing I think of whenever I look at these sorts of projects is Monty Python. She's a witch. It's actually interesting watching the Monty Python Holy Grail, having studied it, is actually even more interesting because he's like, well, what makes you think she's a witch? Well, she looks like a witch. And the woman is like yeah you dressed me up like this, and it's literally they would search for sort of freckles that they would claim as where she was attacked by the devil or whatever It's absolute madness. If you're interested in it, maybe in the the show notes on the blog, I will attach some of the really interesting studies on witch hunts. We should definitely do a theme episode on witches at some point
0: so just don't just don't send them towards the the discovery of witches by the witch finder general himself.
1: There's been a lot of projects into this study. There's a really good exhibition in Colchester Castle on the witch trials in this period. There's now also in the Rose Garden opposite the entrance to the castle, there's a lovely plaque in memory of the victims of the witch hunts. Just to return to Hopkins for a second, we know that he tortured a lot of the suspects to try and get information out of them. And obviously that is one of the problems with the witch trials is when you're under torture, you'll often say whatever you need to say for the torture to stop. And that is how they got a lot of the witches. I read something that said actually Mm. a lot of cases were dropped. You did actually have to quote unquote prove, you know, obviously proof It's very vague to what we would consider proof now. But we know that some of the suspects under Hopkins' cases were SWAM, which is when they're tied up and thrown into water. It's quite a famous sort of witch trial method. Yeah, the dunking. Yeah, the dunking. And if she floated, they claim that she was a witch. And if she drowned, so she dies either way, basically. It's terrible. Yeah, pretty much. That is the main like, proper historical ghosts and skeletons I have for you today, Nick.
0: Well, I would give that a solid nine.
1: Yeah. I mean, being involved in the witch trials is pretty major, isn't it? Yeah. You can go and see the jails still, and some of them have their original... Railings on and things, so very interesting, quite scary though. Speaking of ghosts and skeletons, you know, it's far less historically credible, but I feel like we need to do them just because it is the ghosts and skeletons section. On the Colchester Museum's website, they do talk about several sort of ghost encounters by the people working at the castle as a museum now. They talk about on one. One night when the castle had been kept open for a little bit longer than normal, two members were left to um, close down all of the building. They were closing down the galleries and they were walking around the chapel turning lights off when they heard a voice um, saying, so you've come to look around, have you? And they weren't worried about that at all. It was clearly the voice of the jailer in the sense of They have a very interactive sort of sound system around the museum and around the castle. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be triggered by, it's one of those systems that gets triggered by movement and then it starts talking to you. So you can like, it's very interactive as you walk around the museum. So they weren't worried about it. They were like, that's clearly part of the interactive sound system. So they finished off clearing up. the recording continued its its monologue that it always gave. They locked up the rest of the building, and before they finished, they decided to just go back down and have one final look in the prisons to make sure that nothing was out of place. And when they walked in, the sensor didn't trigger. It didn't start talking again. They were like, "That's odd because it triggered before. They looked at the sensor and actually it was it was fully off, which means it would have been of it would have been impossible." to pick up the movement from somewhere else. And so they're convinced that it was some sort of supernatural event.
0: I feel as though potentially it's fused. Me too. Yeah, I feel like that's a malfunction.
1: Or, you know, something's mistriggered, especially since it was literally doing the speech that they would normally do. That's a malfunction, but... I've got another one for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It involves, again, one of the staff called Sam, who was locking up the galleries and making sure everything was switched off again. Yeah. She approached the Boudica gallery and she thought she saw a shadow pass behind the doors leading to the staff-only area. So, you know, she called out and she was like, sorry, we're closed now. Come out, I'll, like, take you downstairs and, like, let you out. And there was no reply. She saw movement again through a second set of doors leading to the Great Staircase So she wondered if someone had got trapped after a tour. And so she went to like try and help. But as she got closer to the gate, the figure appeared to like limp out of the shadows towards her. But as she started to get closer, she got less vivid rather than more vivid. So Sam sort of started to slow down, feeling like there was something not quite right. And then suddenly the figure just completely vanished. And as Uh, As it did so, she said that she heard a name echo very clearly in her head. James Parnell, who was a Quaker.
0: I think I'd heard of Parnell before.
1: Yeah, and he was arrested and held prisoner at Colchester. He was charged with blasphemy and other offences. And yeah, was in the county jail in Colchester Castle. They claim that he died through fasting. But actually, he was returned to the jail after his trial. and. The terrible conditions were really to blame. Parnell was actually kept in a tiny hole high up in one of the walls. It's called the Little Ease. And the only way to access it was via a rope that he had to climb up. So there was one occasion where he fell, probably broke a load of bones, and it's thought that that weakened him so much that it led to his death later on. He clearly died a very unjust death, which connects... To the concept of...
0: The ghost. The ghost, yeah. That's a much better ghost story.
1: It's a much better ghost story, isn't it? I mean, I always feel like... It's not historically significant, but it is interesting.
0: I'd give that a six. I feel bad for James Parnell.
1: Me too. Either way, I feel bad for him.
0: But, Georgia, Mm. during that, I heard you mention a very important name. What name? You mentioned Boudicca. I did. And we have not discussed Boudicca yet. Is she your special subject? She is indeed.
1: Deep Dive. Obviously, Cultural Castle is now a museum. They've got some incredible collections there, including online, so it's definitely worth checking out if you want to. Yeah. But I did promise that we would return to Roman Britain for today's Deep Dive. Mm-hmm. And the temple that now lies underneath the castle was the main target of the attack led by Boudica in 60 AD. Yes it was. So um just a little whistle stop tour. So I mentioned that in 43 AD Emperor Claudius launched an invasion which was set straight for Colchester. There were several battles when they landed in Kent. In fact they then waited for Claudius to come and join them himself with war elephants maybe it's not it's not confirmed but I like the idea of it. Wow. He was only in England for 16 days himself and then he went back to Rome whilst they continued north and west. Took them four years to get the most of south-east Britain. And then as I mentioned, Claudius suddenly dies in 54 AD. I was right. And then they make him into a god and they uh, make a temple in Colchester which they tax the population, the local population for heavily in order to make. now, Another of the tribes in the local area is the Iceni tribe. Uh The Iceni tribe is not a conquered tribe. They are known as a client tribe, which means they work with the Romans. They have a deal with the Romans. When the tribe leader died, he left his wife as leader and expected her to rule alongside Nero, who was Claudius's successor. And they were expected to rule together. But local Roman officials... Ignore that completely. They plunder the kingdom. They take Iceni land. They um, make some of the leaders into slaves. They massively mistreat the late king's daughters and wife. Guess who his wife is?
0: Boudicca. Boudicca.
1: It is Boudicca. She goes on to, this is a very whistle-stop tour of the story, but Boudicca goes on to raise an army of apparently 120,000 people. They join with other tribes along the way. And the fact that they were a client tribe rather than a conquered tribe was really important because that meant they were allowed to keep their army. They were allowed to retain their army rather than having to give it up when they are conquered. So that definitely helps them. They, they join with other angry natives because the Romans have given them lots of reason to be angry over the year. And uh, the Romans don't see it as a big threat. So they are currently on a different expedition and they just send a small force that are no help at all. I actually heard somewhere that the men in Colchester at the time meant to be defending it didn't even have like weapons and stuff. They didn't think they'd need it.
0: Yeah, I read that.
1: Safe to say. Boudicca's forces absolutely annihilated them. They are known to have like burnt Colchester to the ground. In fact, in archaeological studies, they still refer to a Boudican destruction layer, which in some places is 30 centimetres deep. If you're doing an, a dig or any sort of archaeological study of anywhere in the original sort of historical city you will always find pretty much a layer of destruction at some point that was from when Boudicca just burnt the place to the ground.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. That's incredible.
1: Bringing the temple into it and therefore the foundations of the castle we're looking at today directly into the story, most of the remaining locals and Romans in Colchester when this was happening sought refuge in the temple. And they they fled there and stayed there for a while. But within a few days, Boudicca had also destroyed the temple and everyone was killed. Mm. And then she just swiftly moved on to London and elsewhere.
0: Yeah, it didn't end well for Boudicca.
1: No, it didn't end well. Eventually, the Romans did get their act together and had a massive victory against Boudicca's army.
0: But it took a lot of military power for the Romans to defeat them.
1: Yeah, it did. And that was the point is the Romans massively underestimated her and the army. We don't really know how she died. Some sources say that she committed suicide rather than being taken hostage after the, the Romans finally were successful. Some say that she died later on of illness and was buried with official ceremony. We we don't really know. So you can pick whichever ending you prefer, I suppose.
0: But she left a big mark. She did Indeed.
1: If you're really interested in Boudica, of course, again, we will leave sources that you can go and have a further study if you want to go into her story more than just sort of how it's relevant to the castle. Mm-hmm. Of course, as I mentioned, there's a great exhibition at Colchester Castle about her. And also recently, one of my favourites, a very good episode on the You're Dead to Me podcast with Greg Jenner. They do an excellent episode on Boudicca, which is definitely worth checking out as well.
0: They do. And as always, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcastlespodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. We're there at Podcastles. If you've got any other interesting facts about Colchester Castle, please let us know. And as always, if you've liked this episode, please give us a a rate and a review. It really helps us out and let other people know. Absolutely. And we will see you next week for Headingham Castle. Exciting. See you next week.